0: it really hit home when I actually uh, summed up the courage to actually go in and do the rehearsals and actually perform um, which was a lot of work and was, was pretty stressful. But I mean, it really came home for me when I was actually on stage there and I was able to let loose all of this rage and anger and emotion and everything. And the feedback I got in that moment from a public audience um Just it clicked for me what I I really understood and realized the, the potential of what we were doing. Welcome to the Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast. Our mission is to help veterans and their family members transition from military
1: to civilian life and culture. As best we can, we avoid stigmatizing names and terms. We feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey, including nightmares, rage, and isolation. Participants in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify, understand, and resolve these enormous life challenges.
2: Stigma-free Vet Zone is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org, and donations are always welcome at the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org/slash/donate. Thank you for embarking on this educational journey with the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Here's today's segment.
3: Welcome to another educational edition of the Stigma-Free Vet Zone. We are here in West Bend, Wisconsin, and today we're going to be traveling down to Milwaukee to welcome our guests from the Feast of Crispin. And our guests are Nancy Smith-Watson and Marcus Allen. And first, uh, Nancy, I'm going to bring you in and introduce you. And Nancy Smith-Watson is the program director of Feast of Crispin. She is an actor, a theater educator, and a somatic bodywork therapist. Nancy is a founder of the Feast of Crispian along with two partners Jim Tassi and Bill Watson. Nancy, before we bring in Mark, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Mike, wonderful to be here. All right. Marcus, we're going to bring you in. Marcus Allen is a Wisconsin native, a marine veteran, and today Marcus is the executive director of Feast of Crispian. So Thank you for bringing the veteran aspect of this to uh, to the program, Mark, as we look forward to hearing more about this. But let's start out with Nancy. Explain, introduce Feast of Crispian, uh, how it started, what's the value, and where are you going with it?
1: Yeah, Feast of Crispian is a support organization for veterans, and our main mission is for veterans with PTS and reintegration issues and addiction, but we we accept every, every veteran that comes in. And it, what – we do is a little bit hard to explain because we use Shakespeare and acting techniques to, to support that. We're very biased in the fact that we think that it's actually one of the most valuable things that you can do. Every veteran knows that in boot camp, one of the main pieces that, that has to happen in boot camp is to have all your uh, individual thinking process and in particular your emotions stripped out so that you can survive and that is uh a, the probably the number one thing that ha- goes on in boot camp and that, and then when you come out of the military there is no mechanism to re-educate and put those emotions back in again and later we'll talk about w- why Shakespeare has all these amazing what I call magical properties that that allow for uh actually it helps brain function and all kinds of things but what we do as, as uh, actors and theater educators is to bring our skill set in and give veterans a context and an opportunity to just play with and experiment with the big emotions. They don't necessarily have to feel them in the minute. They can just put on that mask of character Uh, They don't have to use their own stories or words. We're going to give them the words, but but these words are are just full of rage and full of um, sorrow or full of laughter or whatever it is. And and we just give them the opportunity to experiment with that and then uh, also to really start to to connect what those feel like in the body so that they can really start to have a, a practice of noticing when something's coming up, we all have had the experience of feeling like we're getting madder and madder and madder until we have this big explosion. And the way to be able to express things in a healthy way is to understand that those things are coming up in our body, in which case we have to feel them in our body before they do.
3: One of the things that's fascinating to me, Nancy, and to Marcus. I read this just in preparing for this a little bit today because it's so fascinating to me as a, as a combat veteran to go back and think about Shakespeare being a participant or, or, or po- important in our transition. And I read that more quotes on war come from Shakespeare than any other resource. And I, and I never would have known that. And I read some of them, and they're oh. they're amazing, uh, amazingly important or honest or honorable in the actuality of warfare. But, Marcus, let's... Um, Share with the audience, you're now the executive director, but you didn't start out as the executive director. You first had to start out as a participant in this. You were apprehensive. Tell us, tell us about that.
0: Well, I think any veteran um, is apprehensive you know, when they're you know, kind of uh, backed into a corner in their life where uh, they are forced between uh, reconciling with some things that are going on internally and uh, plugging back in with society. Yeah, you know, I, I think for me, I can speak for myself, and I, and I think I can kind of speak for, for most veterans who do go through this. It's not, a, it's not an easy thing to reconcile with uh, some of your experiences. And uh, I think, in part, that's an indictment, I think, of our culture and society, uh, in part, that uh, there is, doesn't seem to be too much of a mechanism that really speaks to and addresses and um, uh, provides a kind of mechanism or a platform for which well, what we're talking about here today uh, you know they're very good at uh, providing lots of programs of support in the clinical employment and you know wraparound service kind of a, a sense. But when it comes to things such as uh, uh, the spirit um, and some of the things that we've talked about earlier, uh, I would give them maybe a D minus in that regard. So I mean, it, and it's it's difficult because if you you're, you're not conditioned or trained um, or taught how to uh, how to, how to uh, deal with some of these things, um, so I think it's. For any veteran, especially uh, veterans coming out of like uh, the male-dominated fraternal organization like the Marine Corps, it's really hard to talk about your precious feelings, you know, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean. And uh, in our culture, at, uh, our culture writ large as well, it's just it's just not something that you do. So, um, so when I first was presented with Fiesta Krispy, and I was uh, very much of the mind that you know, I mean, if you would have came up to me you know, seven, six, seven years ago and said, Hey man, you know, we got this uh, theater Shakespeare group for veteran things over here. What do you think? And I'd have been like, get out of here. You hippie. You know, (laughs) that was my attitude. Literally. I mean, I I was very much still in that kind of mindset. Um, But
3: I I suspect the language would have been stronger. It would have been a little more
0: colorful than that. Sure. But I mean, that's just an, that's just an expression, you know, uh, an outward expression of an internal insecurity. I mean, really, I mean, I think part of growing up and transitioning and maturing is recognizing that these things, you know, do exist and that uh, uh, they they count more than we'd like to admit, for sure. Um, so when I was first presented with Feast of Crispian, uh, I was I, I I didn't know what it was, and uh, it really it took I, I I saw other veterans that were doing it. And I think that's a big thing as other veterans, you know, because there's always some new programs, some new organization, there's new this, there's something that, you know, and, uh, and I think a lot of times veterans are very suspicious, uh, rightly so, because there's a tendency towards exploitation and, uh, you know, commercialization and you know also corruption, all kinds of things. So, you know, I, I, I first, you know, very uh, uh, approached it with some, some skepticism, but as I got into it, and uh, I, I, I recognized its potency. Uh, I was all in. It's it's not easy. Uh, it certainly isn't easy. But um, but I mean I th- the the kind of catharsis we talk a lot about catharsis um, when in our workshops and everything and uh, part of what we do. You know, for me, it really kind of uh, it really hit home when I actually uh, summed up the courage to actually go in and do the rehearsals and actually perform which was a lot of work and was, was pretty stressful, but I mean, it really came home for me when I was actually on stage there and I was able to let loose all of this rage and anger and emotion and everything. And the feedback I got in that moment from an, from a public audience um, just, it clicked for me. What I, where I really understood and realized the, the potential of what we were doing. And, you know, because our our culture and society, it, like I said earlier, just it does really good in handling the more functional parts of uh, veterans' transition, but in when it comes to actually talking and addressing a lot of the experiences and issues and uh, the emotions that are that are attached to that, we don't do a very good job. The feedback that most veterans would get, I think, when it comes to you know trying to talk to just or or uh, relate to. Uh, their community, their friends, their family, their peers, their, their doctors, uh, you know, anyone. Um, the, the feedback they usually get is not positive. It's more the, the messaging that, that veterans get is just take your pills, go sit in the corner Go back to the bar. Do like your grandfathers did. Go sit at the, at the, at the bar at the VFW and just, you know, get drink yourself. Yeah, just suck get over it. it. Let it go. Suck it up. Yeah, suck, suck it up. It up. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, stop being a baby and a little, you know, you can get more colorful. But, um, you know, there's just there's, there's no mechanism to bring, you know, the, the community together with the veterans for them to unload their stories and unload their emotional baggage with it. So that it's spread around. And uh, in that moment, when I did that performance and I got a standing ovation, that was a really enlightening experience for me. So,
3: no, it, it all makes sense, uh, Mark, Mark. Let me ask you these two things because they're very, very important to a veteran. And Nancy could chime in on this. But we'll ask her about this as well. And that's for any of us. You talk about all of the reasons uh, that we might be. Oh, apprehensive about different programs that come up for veterans, we have to trust. The trust is just a huge, huge thing, because the stories that we're going to share, that you did share, these are extremely intimate to us. These are not experiences like we're talking about, your fishing over the weekend, or we're talking about a Green Bay Packer football loss. These are things that a lot of times we don't even know how to talk about. We don't even know why we've had these reactions, because many of them, when we come home, are unexpected. So we don't know who often, who these... Uh, Uh, what these reactions are. So having the trust to go in there has got to be a very big uh, and important thing. And the other thing that I would guess would be very difficult is the stigma. If I go forward and ask them for help, I'm automatically admitting I've got issues. I've got problems. Well, I'm a Marine. I can't let them know I've got any issues. So you're covering all of that. But Nancy, let's go back to, to you and say, how do you gain that trust? How do you make them feel comfortable? Because that would have to be your first, directive would be to make them feel comfortable and trusted to do this, to share this with Feast of Crispian.
1: Yeah. And, I, and I'll, I'll say it's, it, it's not easy. Uh, the, the main people that we work with are people that are in residential programming in the VA. So these are folks that have kind of hit bottom already. And so there's a, uh, there's a couple of things that go on with that. One, uh, they, when you hit bottom, you're, you're willing for anything that's going to help you out. And so they're there I find the 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 folks that we get into our workshops in the VA system, out of the residential programming, are very open to trying anything because they just want something to give them a light at, at the end of the tunnel, and uh, so that's a piece of it. But then the other thing is what I said before is that they don't have to bring any of that stuff in for us, so that the one ground rule that I say up front with them is you don't have to tell us anything. It's all welcome here. You can tell your stories. You can get really mad. You can get really sad. That's all welcome here. Actors are super comfortable with all of that, but it, it's not required of you. We're going to give you a story to tell. And so we give them the, the language. We give them the story. And, uh, and I'll tell you over and over and over again, what happens with that is it hooks out their own thing. We hear every single time we do a workshop we'll hear somebody say I've never even told my therapist this before but that really reminded me of this thing that happened. And so then then they'll start to tell their story and I have to say that the part of what's brilliant about what, what we do is the fact that coming out of theater we are we we love emotions all of them. We don't have a sense of that's a bad emotion that's a good one. When, and and I, I want to caveat saying, we encourage them to take what they get out of the work that they do back to their therapist. We are not therapists and there is benefit in therapy. However, I also feel that one of the things in this, they tell us this, one of the things that happens over and over and over again is that they just love the fact that they don't have to have anything managed for them. If if you go into therapy and you start to get really angry, they're gonna bring you down. They're gonna bring that down. They're gonna calm you down. They're gonna, they're gonna offer you tools of of not going to that really rageful place. And what we're gonna do is make you more rageful. And we're gonna let you run around the room and we're gonna let you throw these balls that we have that that can't hurt anything. They couldn't hurt a fly. And and you can get that all out and come out the other end of that emotion and fully express it, get it all the way out. And then like Mark says, everybody in the room understands that it's play acting and there's applause at the end of it. And, and so it's, I think we're really good at building this sense of comfort. It's a comfort zone to be able to do this. Uh, I also said, I think I said earlier on that they don't even have to, really feel it you know we, we're also always looking for ways of helping them make the shapes of anger or make the shapes of uh, betrayal or whatever it is that, that's going on in this in the scene so that they can just try it on and that's kind of where my somatics background comes in and that the way that the brain and the body talk to each other is it's a it's a two, two-way highway if your body is making shapes of anger, you're going to start to get a little sense of the feeling of anger. And if you, if you're feeling anger in your mind, you, there's certain things that go on in your body when that happens. And we can really use that in in the scene, put it right in the scene, put them right back on the language again, and all of that stuff gets expressed. So once they've had that experience, the trust is there. They know we're not taking any of that out. We don't talk to their, we don't, take notes. We don't, you know, we have no connection with their therapist. That's up to them to do it. We don't talk to other people about their, you know, individual stories or any of that kind of thing. And they have this place to, to, uh, experiment and just try it on for size.
3: Uh, there's, there's something you say that's very important to me. Uh, that's my own experience in 30 years of, of therapy before I went to Toma was the, the whole concept of, thinking that any one particular therapy is going to be healing on its own. And I think the the realization that in combination, as you say, stay with a the professional therapist if you need to, but in parallel with, with other therapies or other healing projects or whatever you want to call them is very, very important. And I think the more of those we put out there, like uh, yoga, equine therapy, canine therapy, Feast of Crispian uh, nature walks, whatever it might be that uh, we're offering the veterans the, the best possible choice to put together all of these different uh, healing aspects that can be very important to them in their healing. So, Marcus, let's go back to you and uh, just uh, talk about what Nancy has just explained to us. When you first uh, do sign up for, to, to join Feast of Crispian, what is the, or is there uh, a goal that this would be the end result for you in this? So it would, I mean, we can't just say you're going to become an actor or you'd like to become an actor. Is there something that says, this is the goal for, uh, that I want to reach in my healing? What will be, as, as Nancy mentioned, people can be down and out. Well, when you're down and out, you want a resolution. You want to know, well, how is this going to help me? What, what is there in Feast of Crispian for that veteran to say, okay, this is what's going to happen. This is what I'm going to benefit from.
0: You know, I don't think that uh, structuring or, uh, uh, you know, on the, on the backside of things, when you write a grant or something or you're uh, writing a program or some sort of literature for it, uh, you need to have some measurable outcomes and everything. But the problem with that is that if you bring that kind of uh, – structure or whatever into the actual workshops you're kind of because the thing with this is that it needs to be spontaneous right You, you you can't force someone to have an emotion you know what i mean you can't say hey okay now here's the time that you have an emotion you see it's it's a contradiction it's it's a it's like a mobius strip wrapped in around itself it's a pretzel you can't it's, you can't force these types of things to happen you can't script these types of things to happen they have to happen spontaneously so the idea that you're going to walk in and say okay kitties ever today we're going to have some big emotions now it's not how it's going to work i think that the the format that nancy bill and jim have used uh, have put in place is is really uh in a little, it's, I think it's a little genius because, you know, you gotta, you gotta put yourself and I'm sure Michael, you can, you can empathize with this certainly is that uh, it puts yourself in the shoes of that veteran who's going through that PTS program. Right. And from the moment that person wakes up to the moment they go to sleep at night, they're inside of this, you know, this, you know, kind of Rikers Island feeling kind of institution place where everything is structured. You go from, you know, there's plate, you know, there's time for this and you go to this program and this one, and there's lunch and you go, you know what I mean? And there's, you know, you got to talk with, uh, professionals and, uh, you know, clinical psychologists and there's nurses everywhere. And, uh, you know, it's, it's very structured and regimented and everything, you know, they, they, you can kind of get the feeling that, uh, that this machine that you're into just really doesn't really care so much about you. Like you, like for me, and I can speak from my own personal experience, I honestly felt like I was just there to justify budgets, man. Like everything that, that was wrapped up into that programming and everything that they do in the entire uh, program was more about mitigating. It was two things. It was about mitigating liability for themselves while at the same time justifying their salaries and keeping their beds filled. Yeah. Like, I mean, they really they felt so dis- uh, impersonal. Now, not to say that, the the you know, that's not to disparage uh, the people who work there and everything, but I think it's just because they've wrapped themselves up into it. So the idea that you're signaling to me here, go ahead, Nancy. What's yeah, up? I
1: just want to I want to add into that because I I think that a piece of it too is the the culture is to fix you. That's that's what it's about. Yeah. So so even if it's not quite as mercenary as you're talking about it, I think that it's also that the mindset is about fixing. And I think that's, you know, we, you might hear as we talk about this, we usually say PTS. We don't say PTSD because that says disorder at the end of that. And our belief, and this, this isn't just us as actors having this belief. This is, this comes out of the trauma community as well, that the idea is that's a natural thing. It's a survival thing. What we do, what the kinds of things that get us set up out of trauma that, that lead to limitations because of the PTS isn't a disorder. It's, it's nature. It's, it's working that way. And so there's a, there's a, I think one of the things that we bring to it is this idea is that you're perfect right where you are right now. Now, what I said before about being limited and you're having it, you're having problems keep, keeping, you know, relationships and things like that. Um, the first place, and you said something about this earlier, Mike, when we were talking about forgiving yourself too is to, to come from this place of love and forgiving of yourself so that you can understand that we all struggle with things. We all have things to learn. And that, that's kind of up to you to figure out what it is that's limiting you and what you, what you want to do with that. I think when you go a lot of, I mean, entirely when you go into the VA, you're saying, I have a problem. They're saying, yes, you have a problem. Let's fix this. And and just like Shakespeare isn't for every single veteran that comes in, neither is the behavior therapy or the drugs that they give you, or you know any of that other stuff. there has to be a there has to be a variety of things that come into this to give people an opportunity to decide what for themselves what it is that they want to
3: change. I I agree with you, and and make them complementary to each other. You know, someone told me a long time ago, and I stay by this now. <clears throat> I never speak of pharmaceuticals. I never speak of drugs because it's not up to me. And for some people, pharmaceuticals are a godsend. So I stay off of that conversation. But what's imperative for me to understand is it, I've never seen one individual therapy that was a panacea for everything. It was always complementary to the other ones, and they were all beneficial to each other. And what what I'd like to to ask uh, Mark here, well, let me stay with you, Nancy, because there was one other thing that you mentioned uh, about the structure of this, and that's when you're trusting these people. But there's a goal, and one of the goals that I never had in my life was joy. Where's happiness? Where where? Okay, so there's forgiveness, there's love, but is there somewhere down the line where joy is there, where happiness is there, where contentment is there, where I can be in a room by myself and be okay? Are these parts of goals? Uh, not necessarily for Feast of Crispian, but just in general, we're not aware of these goals because we're so wrapped up in the anger and the, and the darkness of this whole thing. So I think that when you mention the forgiveness and the love, I, these are powerful terms that I think we're not going to get in, in traditional mental health treatment that I think are a great complement to the traditional mental health. Does that make sense at all?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and, and, and to go back to what you were saying about joy, I mean, we don't, we don't decide that it, it's all going to be about anger and sadness the whole time. Um, and we have a lot of big laughs. I mean, one of the things that I happen to really love about being around veterans is the great, fabulous sense of humor that most of them have. And and I, we have, we have a wonderful time. And, uh, and I think that's, that is the choice for anybody to have to come in and, and to do with, with what's given to them, whatever they want to do with it. But I'll, I'll tell you just like anything else in your life, if you're cutting off your anger, you're cutting off your sadness, you're also cutting off your joy. You can't have that until all the emotions are, are flowing freely and they're all accepted in the, in the same and valued in the same way.
3: I would agree. In fact, I would go on with my own experience and Marcus that I had spoken about this earlier and this anger. It's not anger. It's rage. Uh, there are emotions there and you're not cutting them off. You're burying them. You're isolating. Them. And the energy it takes to keep those angers and those emotions, the guilt, the shame to keep that all inside of you is taking away the energy that helps you move forward in life to enjoy things these are unresolved issues they're not they're they're not disappeared because they're not uh, being seen they're there but it takes a lot of energy to keep them down and
1: this is that this is the this is where the somatic therapist comes in rather than the, than the actor here too i mean that is exactly right on about how much energy it takes because the way that we keep that down is literally in the body you have to tighten your muscles up and you tighten everything up in order to to maintain all of that stuff being not expressed.
3: But you're and tightening it's, it's, your mind up too.
1: Absolutely. I
0: think most people who have traumas going back to when they were kids spend their whole lives without even realizing that there's a there's a there's a connection between the two, and that there's muscles deep in somewhere in your body that are that you're constantly contracting, but it's yeah. always been that way. That you go, you. Know, I, I can tell from my own experience that I've had had those experiences of relief where uh, you know I could feel it releasing inside of some tissue in my body and i realized my god i've been holding that for years for years and it's like you don't even realize because you're just so used to it until the moment comes when it actually releases and you're like oh my god <laughs> yeah oh yeah that's that's, that's exactly brilliant. it
1: and what mike just said about it takes energy and that that mm-hmm. takes
0: energy it to train you. You, you don't even know what
1: use that energy for for other things that, that right. were right official
0: and and right. That's
3: really fascinating. To... Yeah, it's... Uh, we are speaking today with our two guests uh, from the Feast of Crispian. Uh, Nancy Smith-Watson is the program director of Feast of Crispian. Uh, she's also an actor and a theater educator and a somatic bodywork therapist. And Mark Allen, Marcus Allen, is a Wisconsin native. He's a Marine veteran and uh, is also the executive director of Feast of Crispian. So let me go back, Nancy, and ask you about the goal in this, but in your last statement, you mentioned your somatic worker, explain mm-hmm. somatic worker to us.
1: Yeah. Very somatics funny. is, somatics is, is is how the brain and the body communicate with each other. And, and um, I said a little bit about that before about it, that it's a two way highway so that, you know, uh, there's a, there was a, the one that I always tell the vets about is there was a study a little more than a decade ago about smiling and, smiling is, is it's not utterly unique to human beings, but it's a pretty, it's pretty much a human thing that we do. Um, and that has to, we have to engage these muscles in our cheeks when we smile and engaging those muscles changes the chemistry in the brain. Uh, and the the study that was done a few Uh, Like a decade ago, they they had people fake a smile, they had people have genuine smiles, and they had people hold a, a pencil between their teeth. And in any of those incarnations, the stress hormone was reduced. And there's a very quick way of checking the stress hormone, which is a spit test and they could check it right away, and they saw the stress hormones coming down in people, even if they were holding a pencil between their teeth because it engaged those cheek muscles. So that's somatics. Somatics is how the body's um, shapes and movements uh, are set up to come out of particular brain states, but it can go the other way. So it's this great, great tool to use as well to understand that we don't have to have a genuine smile to start to reduce that hormone. We can ha- we can fake it. And, and it, it's it's sometimes people feel that that's sort of a, a cynical way of looking at it. But I just find it, it it's one of the magical things about this, our human system of our body, how beautifully all this stuff is set up. And it it illustrates as well, how important the body is in all of this. It's really, you can't have, you can't just have talk therapy and never do anything for your body uh, and think that you're going to be able to really move things
3: in in the right. And and I think they're even finding out, I've read this recently that they're finding out just the way you think affects the chemistry in your physical body. Just the the process of thinking has a has a very, and, and if you stop and think about it, it makes sense because it's such a complex, beautiful organism that sometimes we, we I'll speak for myself, take for granted. But Absolutely. all of this is very, very much uh, has an effect on your body. I, I want to share something really quick because you, you bring up this whole thing about the smile and everything else. And this is fascinating. I don't want to go off on this, but they're finding out that the mask wearing By children, two, three, and four years old, for the last three years, when they take the mask off, these children do not know how to interpret the smile. They do not know how to interpret the frown because they haven't seen the face. All they see is the mask, and we don't even recognize how much we are in tune with reading what's on another person's face, how they stand, what's in their eyes, all of these things. But think about that. All of a sudden, you don't know when a person's smiling what that actually means. You don't know when a person's frowning, when they're gritting their teeth, when there's muscles, you don't know what these things are because you're not accustomed to it. So I, I think there, there's so much that we're learning just about all of the complexities of this thing called stress that are exhibited in so many different ways in our brains, our bodies, but the connection is, is unmistakable.
1: Well, and I, the, those kinds of things, those kinds of that kind of information that comes up is so powerful in, in understanding how we can easily fix those things. And uh, I just used the word fix and and I brought up the fact that I, I I don't, I said, we don't have a culture of fix in feast of Crispian, but the idea that as a society, we can, we can re-educate on those kinds of things uh, uh, because there, there's a thing called synchrony because you said we can't interpret it just by the way that somebody else's face is. It changes the way that things are in us, and that is absolutely correct. They can look in somebody's brain and they can see this kind of stuff, and they know that for certain things uh, we can we can sync up our brain waves together and our heart rhythms together. And uh, the military has always understood this. That's why they make you march together, right? They make you march together because if you march together, then then your brain waves sync up together and then you're all thinking in kind of the same way at that point.
0: Unit cohesion. Yeah,
1: unit cohesion. Yeah, that's right. What? So and and, and, it, and it works like that. It's it. That's the thing is it's it's very uh, quick. It's the, the, the way that we understand vagal breathing these days, which is again, that goes actually goes back to somatics as well as that if we breathe the way that we breathe when the danger has passed, it tells our brain there is no danger. And so in, in PTS definition of PTS is that you're reliving that trauma over and over again. It's, it remains in the, in the body and it remains in the brain. That's why people have really realistic flashbacks and why this, this rage will pop up or you'll go into dissociation. These kinds of things is because you're you're actually feeling like you were in the, the trauma all the time and bagel breathing, which is, it has been, it's been around for a long time, but now we understand it on a on a really like clinical level um, is the way that any animal on the planet will breathe after uh, the, for, for shorthand, I always use the idea of a predator. So, you know, a, a deer is chased by something and it gets away and then what it's going to do is it's going to take this very deep breath in and then it'll have this long, long, long exhale afterward. And what that does is it sends this message up the vagus nerve to the brain saying, okay, the predator's gone. And that will happen instantly if we do that kind of breathing. It's not a, It doesn't fix it because when you're body is used to being in that state, it's something that you're going to have to practice over and over and over again to, to get longer and longer periods of feeling safe. But it works instantly.
3: I, I agree with you. One, one of the first things that uh, that I was instructed to do, and it was a great benefit to me, and that was uh, at the Student Health Center at Madison when I was in school there. I uh, had a doctor who was from Asia and recognized the stress in me, and she instructed me or taught me biofeedback which was simply how to breathe deep in your diaphragm and she said she looked at me and she said you're only breathing in the chest And it it was true, but it wasn't just during the event that was traumatic. I was in Madison, one of the most beautiful places in the world. I wasn't in Vietnam anymore. So it wasn't just that this happens during the trauma. You learn, as Marcus said before, all these muscles are tightened up all the time, so you don't even realize how stressed you are just in your breathing, which, again, is crucial. But these Mm -hmm. are the elements. The other one that was specific to me and that I remember so clearly my brain, when I came home from, from uh, the military, felt, and, and this is in retrospect, that all of the experiences that were unresolved were in my brain. And they had so overwhelmed my thinking that my brain, like a computer, had shut down. It couldn't absorb any more information, and it couldn't process what was there. So I was physically getting older, but mentally, as you just mentioned, Nancy, stuck at that time at war. But it was so intense in my brain that even the slightest request for me to add some new challenge to that brain would set off in a furious rage. I would would explode because my mind just didn't have the room for a new thought, a new experience, because it was overwhelmed by the trauma or the experiences of war. Is, does that make sense?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and actually, I think this conversation we're having right now is the perfect segue back to Shakespeare because one of the things uh, about the language of Shakespeare is the iambic pentameter. And the iamb- the iambic pentameter, if y'all remember your high school, um, is that ba boom, ba bump, ba bump, ba bump, ba bump. Right. So it's a the it's the poetic form that Shakespeare uses when he writes in verse. And he always writes in iambic pentameter. Um, iambic pentameter is five is the iamb is the foot. That's the that is one rhythm, it, which is the ba bump. And then the pentameter that means that there's five in a line. So it goes ba-bump ba-bump-ba-bump-ba-bump-ba-bump. And the thing that we that we talk about is that ba bump is it sounds like the heartbeat and then the five i a m s are at in on average one inhale and one exhale of a resting breath is five heartbeats in a human being so what we're giving them when we're having them do a line to be or not to be right uh, to be or not to be that is the question that you you have this line that hooks right into the physical system right away. And then at the end of that line, you have to take a big breath. You have to go in order to be able to speak again at the at, for the next line. And so right away, the the rhythm itself, in the language of Shakespeare, is putting you into that situation of being able to breathe out the, the traumatic response that's going on. So it's pretty that's that's then that's just one of the things that
3: I can well, talk about. Well, and, and I don't want to stand on the on the breathing for that long, because there are more things we'd like to discuss. Right. But just the breathing, you don't realize when you're not breathing, you only need that shallow breathing. You're not getting any fresh blood out to the other, out of your organs, out to the, your other limbs, because those remain still all tensed up. And it just mm-hmm. has such a dramatic effect when you learn to loosen all of the muscles in your body and focus on your breathing, just going to a shallow part, or, or I'm sorry, to a deeper part in your, in your um, diaphragm. So that's very important. But Mark, let, let's go back to... The conversation we were having when you were struggling to go to Feast of Crispin. What was the benefit of going there and finding other veterans?
0: Well, there's always a benefit of uh, being around other veterans. You know, just uh, being in the room with like-minded people who have similar experiences is a godsend. Um, when you when you when you're out there in the regular world where there's nowhere else to really plug into, so I think staying connected to other veterans is really is really crucial. You know, but I'll, but beyond that, though, I think it's uh, it's you know, not every veteran is on the same uh, path or track that you are, you know. So I think finding a group of veterans who have either been through the bottleneck like we've been uh, discussing here and have come out the other side healthy and uh, you know can speak to the efficacy of what we do is important. At least it has been for me because it's. You know, you want to help other veterans who are going through that, but it's really hard not to rehash a lot of your own stuff and go right back into that mind space when you're, you know, are or or, uh, connecting with veterans who are still kind of stuck. You know, um, not to say that you know uh, that uh, what we do is going to get you unstuck so much. It's really up to the individual. But I think uh, uh, what what these guys have done is provided that kind of platform, that mechanism, the uh, space for them to to just kind of allow that to blossom on its own spontaneously, which I think is really important. So, and, um,
3: and, and as Nancy mentioned earlier, these are oftentimes are the veterans who have tried everything. They're at the bottom of the. Oh the, yeah. The, the, the I was
0: one of them, man. Yeah. I've, I've been There's to no the bottom room of room. the bottle and back after taken all that took all their pills. I did went to all their groups. I went in, I was, I was a, uh, uh, in the PTS program myself twice inpatient, you know, so I, I, know what it's like on the other side, but like all things, like we talked about earlier, there isn't one panacea, you know, uh, for me, it's been, and I think, I think a lot of veterans can probably empathize, uh, understand this is that, uh, at least for me, it's, it, it's been a combination of things. And when I found the other, the alternative, the alternate side of things, the, the yoga, the Tai Chi, the theater, and all these other things, uh, that really helped, uh, uh precipitate, Um, Of change that I needed in my life. So I'm very grateful for that. Absolutely. And
3: and maybe we could add this, Marcus. One of the things that happens with a lot of us when we are down and out and out of hope, where hope isn't even on the horizon, it's not the light at the end of the tunnel, as Nancy mentioned earlier. There is no hope. But when you get that hope, when you get to a significant a, transit, a state or time or place in your transition where you gain control of the reactions you're having instead of the reactions controlling you. It's worth trying anything to get to that point. And the one thing that I noticed with you and Marcus and myself, when you get to that point, you understand what it's like to have been there and there's yeah. the hope and the joy that can come into your life is now stopping to go back and help bring forward the other veterans who are struggling that's yeah. one of the greatest advantages or benefits to me of any of these programs is getting to that point where you can say, ah, I've arrived. I mean, I've yeah. got stuff now I can go and help them.
0: Well, definitely. I mean, I think a, a, a sense of, I mean, you're, you, you never really lose that sense of camaraderie and belonging to the veteran community. And I think it's, uh, uh, I think people who have come out the other end of this, considering that there is, we have such an epidemic of suicides, especially in the veteran community. Um, that there's a, there's a, a, an obligation, I, I think a sense of duty to, uh, uh, to try to reach out and try to do what you can to help people, you know, discover that there is, that there, there are other uh, choices, you know, that, that, that sense of hopelessness and, and, uh, you know, feeling lost and everything and, and disconnected, um, it's just a temporary thing. It's like the old saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But for me, it's I think it was really powerful to see other veterans who had who showed the courage to do it, and you know, uh, and that was probably the the, the single greatest uh, motivating factor is that I saw other veterans who were already doing it. I was like, well, hell, if these other guys can do it. Well, I can do it, you know. Um, and I think that that in of itself speaks volumes to to veterans. I mean, because it's one because like I said before, veterans are always bombarded with. This, that new program, everything. I mean, they've heard it all, you know, um, but when they see that what they what they see, if other veterans are going to it, then that's their signal, you see. Um, and I think that we've demonstrated that, which is why we're, we've been uh, been in business for as long as we you know, as long as we have, because the veterans keep coming back because the 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 program itself, uh, I think, speaks to its own um effectiveness if that makes sense and they believe in it yes well, you have to yes believe they believe in it, in it. that's 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 a that's, a, that's a, an it. enormous validation yes. i mean that that in and of itself is an enormous validation so yeah
1: and like listening again listening to mark spark something too that i didn't say about trust building the other thing is that uh, we have special techniques that we use so that it's built for success and we have never, ever in the over a decade now of practicing had a veteran that couldn't do the program. Um, if they went through the program, they were successful at the program because of, of the way that we have it set up. So we understand that Shakespeare is difficult language. It's hard to understand. It's, it's, it's hard to read. And in, in fact, we understand that occasionally we get veterans who don't read very well and uh, and and we, we get a lot of veterans, especially with the contemporary conflicts, we're, getting a, we're seeing a lot more TBI, traumatic brain injury, which makes it really hard to just hang on to things. And so all of our techniques uh, have that foundation of understanding the kinds of things that would make it unsuccessful for somebody. So therefore, we can set it up in a flexible way that makes it always successful.
3: Absolutely. Fascinating. Nancy, we had spoken earlier, we're coming to the end of our time for today, uh, but we had spoken earlier and I'd like to invite you back if if possible and to come back with hopefully with one of the other participants uh, who has gained significantly from their participation in Feast of Crispians. Would you accept that invitation? Absolutely. Okay. Well, um, Nancy, uh, Mark, uh, thank you for joining us. This is really not just a valuable conversation, but I love it when veterans have an opportunity to to learn something that's educational. Uh, as Mark has said before, it's not pharmaceuticals, it's not therapy. This is educational. This is participation. There's hope for this. So, uh, Nancy, thank you for your obvious expertise and and, and passion in in your participation in the Feast of Crispins. And uh, Marcus, thank you as a veteran for, for transforming your experience in leader, into leadership to improve uh, what is really often a very, very difficult transition for our veterans to civilian life. So, Dancy, take a minute, to, uh, to share something with us, and, and we'll ask Mark to do the same thing, and, and then we'll close for this session.
1: Yeah, come and join us. <laughs> That's my closing remark. <laughs> well, In, in addition
3: <laughs> to that closing remark, then ask or let us know where can we contact you or Feast of Crispians and get more information on this. Uh...
1: Our website, uh, uh You can just look up Feast of Crispian and it'll, it'll come up. Um, and uh, it's it's a I the thing that I tell people when I am recruiting, no matter where I go to to come and do a workshop is. Just come for the first bit of it. And if you don't like it, you can always leave. No hard feelings on our part. Uh, it's, it, you, but what happens is that once people feel the feeling in the room, people stay.
3: They stay. So, yeah, yep, absolutely. they stay.
1: So, so uh, come on and join us. It's, it's an amazing experience. It's a great community.
3: And just for the sake of those, who don't, those of us who don't read so well, Crispian, spell that for us.
1: C-R-I-S-P-I-A-N and it's uh, the reason the reason we use Feast of Crispian is from the Henry V, same Henry V speech that that band of brothers comes from. Uh, part of the speech begins, um, this day is called the Feast of Crispian. He that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand a tiptoe when this day is named and rouse him at the name of Crispian. So we, oh. take, we took our name from that and th- later in that speech you get a uh, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. Right.
0: Marcus. I, I love it. Man. Yeah, I love it because yeah, I love it because, uh, you, you know, I, what my message to uh, any of the veterans out there that may have uh, some interest is just come. Um, I love it because you can, it's play. You know, there's a reason why I think they call it play. And you can come in there and just get into it. And you don't have to feel self-conscious. we got a whole bunch of different group of guys in there and and, and ladies and everything from all different walks of life and stripes and whatnot uh, older generation, Vietnam vets, younger vets, uh, Iraq, Af- Afghanistan. So it's a real mixed bag. It's there's a great spirit to it. It's a lot of camaraderie and it's a lot of fun. It really is. I love the, the feast of crispy at speech and everything, especially we can just get in and just, and just let her go, man. It's awesome. So
3: we yeah. love, we love awesome. And I, I know you shared with us earlier that you have a little say saying from um king uh, what is it uh, henry the Eight Fifth, i believe on your refrigerator that keeps you tuned oh, yeah. uh, keeps you in tune what what is that yeah and i have
0: to cuz if you don't use it you'll lose it you know but uh, every <laughs> once in a while if i'm in the mood for it, it's like you know you know those moments when you're in the car and you're singing and you're there, you don't have to be self-conscious or you're in the shower you know so you can just kind of get into the character and just it's it's awesome there's a there's a there's a there's a dimension to it that's uh, kind of addictive so
3: all right well nancy uh, Smith Watson, who is the program director of Feast of Crispians, thank you, and uh, Marcus Allen, who is the uh, executive director of Feast of Crispians, thank you very much, and I, I do look forward to you coming back, Nancy, and bringing one of the female um veterans who has participated in, in the uh, Fisa Crispians uh, play. That I, I just think this is fascinating. And I, I think we should always be open to every possible new resource that we can make available to veterans for them intuitively to make a choice of, yeah, that sounds good to me. I'd like to try that. So thank you both, and thank you for all that you're doing for the health of our veterans. And thank you to our audience for joining us today. And please check us out for more resources on our website at Orban Foundation for Veterans. And we'll also be listing the Feast of Crispians uh, website there. But I believe you also have a a Facebook page, don't you? Uh,
1: We're on all the social media. All the social
3: media. You'll find Feast of Crispians. So please, if you are struggling in any way and would like to speak to a real voice, take down this number. And this would be the, the number for the Veterans Crisis Line. And I tell you, for a lot of us who have had difficulties, taking the verse, the first step is the most difficult, but it is the most important, and it will get you the most benefits. And that Veterans Crisis Line, crisis line number is 1-800-273-8255, and then press 1. So for my co-host, Bob Bach, I am Michael Orban. Thank you for joining us today for another episode of Stigma-Free Vet Zone. And remember, this is educational, not stigmatizing.
2: Thank you for listening to the Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast. Your feedback is welcomed and encouraged. You'll find contact information on our webpage, OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. While you're there, please consider making a contribution. Donations help us continue to bring greater hope, understanding, and resolution on issues of civilian readjustment for all military veterans and families. Anyone who donates to the podcast will receive a free copy of the book, Sold Out, Conquering the Experiences of War, by Michael Orban. On behalf of Michael Orban, Bob Bach, and Aaron Schraufnagel, thanks for joining us, and please tune in again.